coming up on this week's podcast. But why is the text not explicit, Steve? You say it's immersion. I haven't seen the scripture that says, make disciples of all people, baptizing them by immersion in the name of, you know, it's just not in that text. It's not in any text. No specific method is identified in the text. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Stephen Coleman with today's message. We've just participated in one of the ways that we have very individual participation to the Lord, participation as a congregation to the Lord this morning. And, and I just can't help but think there is a way that as congregations are meeting across this country and around the world, that all that praise sort of gets um, tuned in together as it, it goes up to heaven. So as we sit here and, uh, and lift up the Lord, uh, with our worship, with our praise, with the way that we act. Uh, uh, I, I, I like the phrase out of the prayer, you know, seeking the ways of the Spirit and, and going after that. We bring a lot of praise and honor to the Lord. There are also these two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that the Lord himself established for the church as expressions of our faith and of the life of community here in this local church and in local churches in general. They're so important and foundational that it's good from time to time to talk about them. Sometimes we take them for granted. We do them, and we don't always talk about them. Uh, we had um, a, present, uh, a message on the Lord's Supper about a year ago or so. Uh, today we're going to have one on baptism. I was asked to do one on baptism uh, because of the timing, we've got a baptism scheduled in two weeks' time, and uh, you are certainly welcome to come, and details for that will be announced. Uh, so in preparation for that, it was suggested that we have a message on baptism and, and understand some of the implications of it. I know a lot of us maybe have grown up around it, and that's a good thing. Uh, it may be new for some folks, and uh, we're here to talk about it a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, it is going to be a little bit because, you know, in a half hour's time, there's, uh, there's a lot to talk about it, because you see, over church history, there's been a lot of attention and controversy and misunderstanding about baptism, and you can find a, a lot of folks that have um, very strong convictions on it one way, and others that have a conviction a, a different way. So, um, I don't know that we're going to put those to rest. We don't have the time to uh, solve the problems of church history at least not 1,900 years of them. But we're going to talk a little bit about baptism. Uh, and if I forget to mention it, we are going to have a baptism class for those that are interested in getting baptized or anybody that's interested in talking about it at maybe a little different angle or, or getting a little deeper with it. We'll see how much time we have there. But that class will be held next week, next Sunday, the intervening Sunday between now and the baptism. It'll be held at 10 o'clock 
we'll meet initially here in the cafe and then see what room there is for us to meet in. But uh, I'll be conducting that class, so you can meet me at 10 o'clock next Sunday in the cafe. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 28. This is a passage that is referred to as the Great Commission, and it is a foundation stone for understanding the importance of baptism. Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, these last verse, these are the last verses in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, they, immediately, uh, they come immediately after his account of the, uh, the various resurrection experiences uh, that occurred. Then you have this set of verses, and then the end of the book. So Matthew doesn't cover that 40 days time that Jesus, after the resurrection, uh, taught the disciples about the kingdom of God. It doesn't cover his ascension. From Matthew's point of view, it's all summed up in this great commission. Uh, So they are important words indeed. and, And the primary reason for baptism's prominence in the church program, I think, stems from Uh, this verse, where Christ has made it a very specific direction, an unambiguous command to baptize God's church as it multiplies itself here and abroad, and as people come to want to be disciples of Christ and to follow him. Well, a few questions will come to people's minds. A lot of uh, initial question, why baptize? And we've talked about that. Second question, what is baptism? Well, the short answer is it's a symbol. Uh, It's a symbol that individuals do, a one-time symbolic expression of turning away, the decision to turn away from the old life, identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, and our own new life in him. The Lord's Supper is also symbolic. We're not going to spend any time on the Lord's Supper, but being the other ordinance, uh, let me tell you that it is a symbol to identify with the community of believers, to commemorate Christ's sacrifice, and to proclaim his death until he comes. So both are essentially symbols and symbolic acts that represent an underlying uh, magnificent truth, a reality that exists underneath. You know, weddings are loaded with symbols. Wedding rings, too. I was reading that in Roman times they used iron as the metal and that they valued its symbolic strength. Now, that's not very common these days. I I think folks have trouble fitting the symbolism of rust into the the marriage. But uh, strength is an important one. We value other things in the rings that we select uh, these days. But perhaps the clearest message sent to the world by a wedding ring is that a person is married, that they have become joined to another person, that they've made a decision that's going to change their life forever. Their life is not going to be the same. 
this experience will always be in their life, and it's a profound one, uh, particularly for young people. I don't know why they have the courage to do that. I did it one time, and it worked out very well. I'm extremely happy, but it is a huge decision. And what the wedding ring serves to do is be that symbol to the world that uh, that marriage is a reality, that I am joined with my wife. And um, the, without the ring, if I wasn't wearing a ring, you can look at me and say, well, is he married, is he not? Can't really tell from the outside. I can't tell what that inner reality is. And uh, except for this very visible wedding ring, which is a symbol of that inward reality. Well, baptism is a symbol of our identification with Christ and our new life in him. We're going to look at a, at a few, uh, just real quickly, some basics on the word baptizo, which is the uh, primary word used in the New Testament, the only word for baptism, but it has, it's used in several forms. Uh, they, it occurs 116 times in the New Testament, so we better start looking them up if we're going to go through all 116. But uh, we don't have to, because a lot of those refer to John the Baptist. Now, I know there's a rumor floating around that he was a member of the Baptist General Conference, but that's not what Baptist means in his name. He, he is uh, John the Baptizer. He's, oh yeah, John, that, that guy that's out there, the Baptizer. Uh, we had to, in our first house, make some changes to the plumbing that was embedded in the foundation slab. And uh, expensive proposition to break that up and get, get new plumbing. But a friend of ours said, I know a guy. Uh, he's Mike, Mike the plumber. And he'll come and break this up for you and do it uh, over the weekend. He's looking for extra work. And you know, I don't think we ever found out his last name. This was 20 years ago, but we still call him. Oh, remember when Mike the plumber was here? Well, that's it. John the baptizer. He's the guy that was over there baptizing folks. The definition of baptizo is to dip or immerse, and that's the, that's the primary definition. But you have to keep in mind that word is also used metaphorically uh, in the New Testament. So we can look at that um, idea of immersion that's sort of embedded in the word, but you have to be careful how far you push it because it is used in those metaphorical ways. Well, let's talk about the ways that it is used. It's used as a metaphor of Christ's suffering. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Mark 10, James and John come to Jesus and say, please permit uh, one of us to sit on your right hand and the other on your left hand in glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I experience? Well, this was long after his baptism at the inauguration of his ministry with John the Baptist. Uh, And so, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about his suffering, his suffering and his death on the cross. And he's he's asking them, are you able to take on the death on the cross that I'm going to? Horrible enough. When you add to the fact Christ was going as a substitutionary sacrifice, taking on the sin of the world, uh, makes it 
little bit more of a challenge uh, about that right and left hand seat. If, uh, if uh, James and John were being challenged to, to do that as well. But anyway, at least death. You know, incidentally, notice the, the way he uh, re- talks to them about this. He uses two metaphors. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink of? Are you able to be baptized with my baptism? Uh, kind, of, kind of curious that it, it has both of the symbolisms of the two ordinances that we are commanded to, uh, to participate in. The cup, which, which we, we talk about when we have communion, the grape juice, and then baptism. Uh, but that's on the side. In Mark 1.8, we have another use of baptism. That is to indicate spirit baptism. You know, John the baptizer is the one that first mentioned this. He talked to uh, the people that he was baptizing. And he said, I baptize you with water. But he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, John's baptism was a water baptism. It was, had roots in Jewish baptism, but his was different. Uh, but it was focused on repentance, on having the people declare sort of their repentance and their readiness for the Messiah. Remember, John the baptizer was the forerunner and was to prepare people for the Messiah. And he says, this Messiah is coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So, um, water baptism is not in view here. Spirit baptism is. The same notion is repeated in several Gospels and in Acts 1.5, where, we, where the, the Spirit of God comes on the day of Pentecost and the community of believers that uh, are there and are waiting for God's promised Holy Spirit and they receive it. 1 Corinthians 12 13 is a central verse for the doctrine of spirit baptism. It says there, just quickly, for by grace we were all baptized, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. All believers have been baptized in the spirit. All believers have been placed in the one body, the body of Christ, the spiritual connection. And then, of course, the third way, Uh, that we find it used in the New Testament is of water baptism. So we're talking about an ordinance that's practiced with water. It's water baptism. Matthew 3.16 says, After Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, and then he goes on to describe the events that happened immediately after that. There's another passage in Acts where the eunuch said to Philip, Look, there's water. What is to stop me from being baptized? So we ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. Then it says, now when they came up out of the water, and so on. Water's involved. Uh, and and, and um, uh, some people like to use these verses to push the idea, again, of immersion. And uh, I, these are verses I was taught many years ago. In my reading of the New Testament, though, just to be straightforward and clear, as you read this, I'm not sure that that's what this is, is pushing. Uh, I do believe in, a, in immersion as the method, 
But these verses don't seem to be supporting that. Folks say, when it says he came up out of the water, well, that was coming up after being dunked in the water. Uh, But to me, as I analyze those verses, particularly when in Acts it says Philip and the eunuch came up out of the water. Well, did Philip go under as well? That just doesn't make sense to me as I sort of read it across, you know, uh, the way it sounds like they stepped back out of the water onto land. And the same phrase is used with Jesus. But there is... um, So, so water's involved. I'm not sure we can, we can push those particular verses, but let me talk about them uh, again in regard... Well, let me skip to that. Um, so it probably means they left the area of the water and went back on the shore. Uh, but there is something here. If something other than immersion is in view, why did they... Philip and the eunuch both have to step into the water. Why wasn't, if they were going to be poured or sprinkled, why wasn't water uh, scooped up and brought to the place? Everywhere in the, New Test- in the New Testament, as you read about this, you read about people going down into the water. And uh, so I do think there's, there is a strong implication here about immersion. We'll be talking a little bit more about that later. But I wanted to mention, by the way, as we go through this, if you have specific questions about baptism, Please hunt me up and talk to me or talk to one of the elders about how we biblically justify views of baptism. If you've researched baptism, you have different conclusions from what I say today or what we have in our bylaws, we'd be delighted to discuss with you. I think open conversation is a wonderful thing. There are many, many fine scholars that have come to some different conclusions in these areas and... um, I think that's very fair to ask those questions, and uh, let's have a dialogue about it. So as we talk about immersion, why is immersion the method uh, that we use here at New Hope? Well, first, I talked about the definition. Can't push that too far, but baptizo does mean dip or immerse. Uh, Secondly, this description of going down into the water, the notion that folks always seem to do that, uh, in connection with baptism, again, gives me a suggestion of it. Uh, I think there's some other things that we can point to as well. And I think the, in, in John 3.23 is a really interesting passage about John the baptizer. And it says he was baptizing near Salim because water was plentiful there. Well, why would he need plenty of water? If he was sprinkling or pouring... Why would plenty be a key notion? If a river is flowing and it's six inches deep, you've got enough water there to baptize thousands. Um, the notion of, of needing plentiful water is, again, another indicator to me that we're probably looking at, um, at immersion. But then if you look at the meaning for the symbol of baptism, I think this is what... Uh, has brought me to the conclusion that immersion is the best symbol that we can use for that. Uh, Romans 6.3, Or do you not know that as many were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, even buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory 
of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, some translations say, so we too may walk in newness of life. But do you get the picture here, the imagery, the connection with Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection, the connection with us uh, dying to the old self and walking a new life, pursuing the things of the Spirit, not pursuing any longer the things of self or the things from the old man, the things that... um, that aren't spiritual. Uh, That imagery, to me, speaks very loudly about how immersion really helps fit and carry that that picture forward. There's a couple of other passages, too. Uh, Galatians 3.27 For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. Uh, The the notion of being clothed in Christ, again, I think marries up nicely with immersion. Again, it's, it's, uh, it's not a definitive, but to me it's very helpful to see it that way. Another burial symbol is found in Colossians 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, you've also been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So we see the symbolism of being buried with Christ. I think it's a really good symbol if you immerse. I think the selection to do other methods of baptism don't carry that same uh, strength of connection. But I know folks that that believe other uh, styles and methods of of baptism are the better ones, and and they'll pick some other scriptures and say, here's a nice nice picture of baptism here. These verses, I I really think, are compelling. They attach directly with the word baptism, with the notion, and uh, and that's where um, my conviction and where New Hope Chapel uh, sits for that. But you know... There is something, need for plentiful water, where's my other slide? There it is, the imagery, burial, resurrection, and being clothed, all give that, perhaps lend support to that sense of immersion. But why is the text not explicit, Steve? You say it's immersion. I haven't seen the scripture that says, make disciples of all people, baptizing them, by immersion, in the name of, you know, it's just not in that text. It's not in any text. No specific method is identified in the text. If you think about it, and if you do your homework, and, and um, the Lord's Supper, if you look at what it says about the Lord's Supper, there's precious few details there about precisely how to do that too. Well, why is that the case? Did somebody overlook writing a chapter in the Bible that spelled that out? There are a variety of reasons, I'm sure, and if you asked a variety of people, you'd get all kinds of different reasons. I would have my own reasoning, but let me suggest to you that one lesson maybe we can take from that, thinking both about the Lord's Supper and about baptism. Both involve basic items, both are relatively simple things to to put on. They're not elaborate ceremonies. They don't require uh, highly specialized items or preparation. 
uh, no matter, uh, and I think it's particularly striking how grand the truths are that these things are symbolizing. And so it's led me to the conclusion that God's intention is for us to keep our attention on the reality and not on, oh, the symbol needs is this, the symbol's that. Uh, that's the focus, is the grand truths of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and his death and us showing that, in our case, month by month, when we celebrate communion and declare, proclaim his death till he comes. Or in the case of baptism, which is treated as a one-time event, uh, a sort of decision point, a milestone in a person's life where they say, yes, I really want to take on discipleship. I want to identify fully with Christ publicly and, and uh, move my life towards seeking things of the Spirit very specifically. Okay. All, the, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, there was an airline pilot for U.S. Airways, Captain Chesley Sullenberger, Captain Sully, and you might remember the incident, U.S. Airways flight, a flock of birds um, flew into the engine, sort of like a Hollywood movie, and the plane was going down. And uh, he was over in New York and ended up landing the plane on the surface of the Hudson River and uh, saving all aboard. And uh, a little while later, the mayor, um, Michael Bloomberg of New York, presented Captain Sully with a key to the city a token of thanks for successfully landing that flight uh, when the birds had disabled the engines. Well, Captain Sully, I remember seeing some interviews with him. He's a classy guy. But can you imagine Captain Sully receiving this key and saying, okay, now, Mayor, exactly what doors does this key open? <laughs> I like to eat at this restaurant down the way. Does that mean I can go, like, after hours and, and get in the kitchen? Does this open, does this open your office? Uh, and... Uh, I, the mayor would, would say, you know, I'm, you're not getting it. What, we are eternally grateful to you. Ask me a favor, and if it is appropriate, you can have it. But this is a token. This is a symbol that you have our undying affection. We are indebted to you, and so on. And I think the same thing with uh, to focus on specifically uh, in, a, um, in a way that, that could break the unity of the body is something that it is not intended by the Lord. He's looking for the reality behind it to be um, celebrated. He wants us to focus on the reality. That being said, within the history of, the Bap of Baptist doctrine and practice and the fact that we are um, in Baptist General Conference, uh, we do, in our doctrinal statement, have the following statement. I just wanted to, uh, for the sake of sort of covering the whole range here uh, indicate. This is what you'll find in our Constitution, which is where the doctrinal statement is captured. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has committed two ordinances to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that Christian baptism is immersion of a believer in water in the name of the triune God. We believe that the Lord's Supper was instituted for Christ for the commemoration of his death. We believe these two ordinances should be observed and administered until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are in the General Baptist Conference 
this is a stance that is uh, more than just consistent with their position, and it is sort of the historical position of uh, Baptist churches along the line that we're in. Also, from my study of Scripture, I do think immersion is the best symbol to use. Now, there's one last question, and I'm just going to fly through a couple of, of bits here, and that, that I really think we need to hit, this fifth question. Does baptism save? Um, there are a lot of... It, it's the kind of thing that I could... We could lay out a lot of scriptures to make that compelling argument. Let me give you a couple, uh, one scripture to sort of represent that whole set, and then also talk about one character in the book of Acts. You know, in John... 1, 12, we have the verse, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Uh, becoming a member of God's family, uh, having our lives, um, being made spiritually alive, uh, having the indwelling spirit. Uh, being transformed. Colossians talks about us being translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, a new creation we are in Christ. All those things occur based on uh, our receiving Christ. Baptism is not a part of that equation. As far as examples... Is there anybody in the New Testament who definitely was a believer before being baptized? And there was. Uh, Cornelius is a very clear example in Acts 10. He hears Peter's words, he trusts in Christ, and even the Spirit of God indwells him. He gets to speak in tongues. Uh, His position sort of strategically in the way the book of Acts is laid out, he's the first uh, Gentile believer, he and his household, and uh, there is a definite evidence of salvation and conversion, and then later he's baptized in water. He became a believer, fully a believer, before he was baptized. Uh, So those two verses sort of help answer that question. Didn't have a lot of time to cover all the different uh, controversies or aspects of baptism, but this is sort of an introduction to. We'll be talking some more about baptism next week at 10 o'clock Uh, Let me just close by telling you about a tradition that we have in our family. You know, when a child gets ready to go out in the world as an adult, first of all, Julie and I are throwing our own little party in our uh, outside of the uh, earshot of the children. But anyway, we what we do is that we let all the children know we uh, get reservations at a nice restaurant and we go out as a family, Uh, and each sibling takes a few minutes to tell this new fledgling spreading his or her wings the positive character traits and strengths they have seen in this brother or sister's life and, uh, and how they've seen them grow and what, what they appreciate, what they think the strengths are. And they also uh, communicate an area or two that they're going to commit to pray for this brother or sister on an ongoing basis. And uh, we have a lot of fun. You know, we laugh, we, Remember, all the old stories start coming out, a lot of nostalgia, uh, and everybody really enjoys it. Julie and I take our turn as well, uh, communicating these things to the child. And, you know, there's more than a few tears, but they're happy tears. I mean, it's just a really um, important time. I think it ends up 
uh, being that milestone event that helps uh, document in the minds of the children this notion of moving on. I mean, you have this stage where you're a child at home, and then you have this stage where good luck out there in the world. Uh, and it marks this great, great moment. Now, I don't think the children, uh, it's not the dinner itself or even the restaurant that's chosen that is memorable to the children. It's the family. It's what's said. It's what's, what's communicated. Well, baptism is a time of joy for this family as we're reminded of the profound experiences of new life in Christ, as we see someone else who says, I, I'm looking to be a disciple and to... Uh, sh- uh, and to state that, to go on record as that, to have a milestone experience that I can say, yeah, I'm following Christ. This is, this is where I am. Uh, so we, we know that the individuals that do this, uh, this becomes a very uh, uh, moving and important part of their lives. For us, uh, just like that family dinner that we have, it, we see another Christian who is... Uh, is, is moving forward at, at having uh, Christ be a significant part of life and, and a serious part of, of what they're going to be pursuing. And it's a great joy to see that, and it's a family time. So uh, I hope you look forward to two weeks from now. If you've never been baptized, I uh, sure hope that you will consider that. And, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you there in a couple of weeks. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching, focused on the Jewish roots of the faith, and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. Yeah.